Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talks podcast. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together some of the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Joining me today is Mr. Art Barter. Art has had an incredible, incredible journey. He worked for Disney way back in the day. He's about 64. <clears throat> so he, he worked for Disney back in the day when it was, you know, really exploding. Uh, he is the founder and CEO of the Servant Leadership Institute, and he is the owner and CEO of Datron World Communications, uh, which does some incredible, incredible things. So after purchasing Datron World Communications in 2004, he began to dismantle the company's traditional power-led management style and replaced it with the servant leadership model. After years of hard work, not only were the employees of the company happier, they were also more efficient. As a result... Datron grew from a $10 million company to a $200 million company in just six years. And in order to spread his mission of servant leadership, Art founded the Servant Leadership Institute in 2008. And since its inception, the Institute has developed a powerful curriculum with over 45 hours of training, more than half a dozen books and booklets, as well as webinars, podcasts, and articles all geared towards empowering others to become effective servant leaders. So today we, we're really going to dive into the art of leadership with art. <laughs> uh, I couldn't, I could like, I, honestly, I really couldn't help it. I had to throw out some like horrible dad joke there. I'm not too sure why, but um, I hope you enjoyed that dad joke brought to you by Connor Beaton. Uh, so we're going to dive into the art of leadership today. And we're going to talk a little bit about the differentiation between power leadership, power-based leadership, and servant-based leadership. And Art has a very interesting journey because, you know, for years, he was in a, in a corporation uh, that had the, the power-based model uh, where it was basically you do as I say or else. And it's very results-driven, very performance-driven. And, uh, you know, once he started to discover the servant-based leadership model and implementing it and seeing the, the, the difference and the benefit, not only for the employees, but for himself as a leader, he really wanted to start to spread this message. And, you know, I think for myself in the past, I, some of the best leaders that I've had the chance to work with, leaders, mentors, uh, whether it was in companies like Apple uh, whether it was, you know, pumping gas when I was, you know, a 15-year-old kid working for Petrocan in, in frozen Alberta, uh, no matter where it was, the best leaders were always the ones who were looking for ways to inspire me, who were looking for ways to empower me, and who are looking for ways to give me the tools to succeed rather than just telling me what needed to be done and moving on. And so we're going to talk about how to actually implement servant-based leadership. And I just, want, I just want you to know that this is applicable regardless of your career. So it doesn't, doesn't matter what sort of position you have in the quote-unquote hierarchy of your organization. It doesn't matter if you're the, the founding member, the CEO, or you know, the, the person that works part-time and you know, doesn't, doesn't believe that they have much of an impact on the grand scheme of the business. So uh, this is applicable regardless of that. So um, before I bring it on, though, quick reminder, head on over to iTunes or Spotify or whatever platform you are listening to us on, and please, please, please leave us a rating and review if you enjoy this podcast, it goes such a long way to ranking us, it goes such a long way to getting it into the ears and on the phones of other people. And one last 
one last ask is to share the podcast with somebody that you know will appreciate it and and enjoy it. Whether it's this episode or one of your favorite episodes, it goes such a long way. Uh, don't forget to tag me in it because I would love to give you the shout out. So without any further delay or ado, please welcome Mr. Art Barter. Connor, great to be with you today, uh, as always, and uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, and I, I appreciate the re-record for the listeners that are out there. Art and I actually uh, interviewed quite a few months ago, and uh, and when it came time to to launch the podcast, we realized that that the audio was messed up on our end. So Art has been kind enough to rejoin me on the show. So hopefully we we get to dive even deeper in into some of the concepts because uh, they really are, you know, this this idea about servant leadership. And and the capacity for it is is really incredible. Plus your journey, so so thank you again for for being on the show. My my pleasure, Connor. Thank you. So let's just let's just dive straight in. Um, so let's let's start with the the main question that our listeners love hearing, which which is tell us a story about a defining moment that made you who you are today. Well, you know, there there's multiple moments that I can I can talk about. I I, I think I go back to my father growing up. He was always involved in service clubs. Kiwanis, Rotary, and he was always dragging me places on weekends. And, you know, I said, come on, we need to go take care of this. We need to go uh, do this service. We need to go help this person. And, you know, I I didn't think much of it. I was, I was growing up and as I became a teenager, I went, this is just a pain. You know, my dad wants me to go everywhere with him. And um, when I sat down to write my first book and started started the interview process, I started to realize that you know what? He was a, he was a pretty good servant leader, and he showed me that you go out and take care of people, and that's what he did. He he served people really well. I, I was fortunate to go to work for Disney uh, when I was in high school and worked th- uh, with them through college. Spent uh, six about seven eight, eight years with them. At the time, their purpose in life was to make people smile. And I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty cool stuff too. I, I got to see the service. But, and then I went into cor- the corporate world and the corporate world taught me how to be a power leader. And I spent about 25, 30 years in the power model after, after I graduated from school. I left Disney, found out I loved to build things and make things and, and have been involved with manufacturing companies ever since. And then back in uh, and and was trained in the power leader. You know what? You, what are you going to do for me this quarter? How much revenue are you going to you going to ship? How much profit you going to make? What's the earnings per share? You know, I've been through this ninety day cycle all my life and got tired of it. Been burned a lot. Uh, sacrificed family time for it. The companies who you know really didn't care about the people. Uh, they cared about their profits. And uh, in two thousand three, Ken Blanchard challenged me in my leadership beliefs and. And uh, basically challenged my beliefs through my faith and said, if you really believe what you believe, then you really don't have an option. You you have to be a servant leader. And I thought, wow, nobody's ever challenged me that way uh, through my faith. And I think Ken's message that, that night that I heard him speak at my church was, you know what? We're here to help people and we're here to, to serve people. And that's where we we get our joy and our happiness is when we help other people. And he said, if you're in the corporate business world, you need to to think about serving others above yourself. And that began my study of servant leadership. Now, the corporate world helped me put some nails in the coffin, if you will. Uh, He challenged me in 2003 to start thinking a different way. In 2004, I had a horrible experience with the Department of Justice, was accused of 
breaking the law in the Foreign Corrupt uh, Practices Act world turned out to be false, which we, we said it was false because I hadn't broken the law. But I went through an experience where the corporation I was working with really didn't care about me. They wanted to protect themselves and they were willing to throw me and I was general manager of uh, the company at the time. Uh, and I had 70, 70 people and their families' lives in my hands. And they didn't care about them. All they cared about was protecting their corporate image. And um, that was the last straw for me. I got through that. I uh, had an opportunity to buy the company from them, which I did, and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead this in a way that I will never put my employees in that position ever again to be accused of something that they didn't do and then treat them like uh, they weren't human beings. That was my starting journey uh, with servant leadership back then. And I think my dad really was the one who set the example for me as I was growing up, but I didn't realize what he was doing until later in life when I looked back and I went, wow, the people who are challenging me today and my leadership beliefs, my dad was teaching it, but I was too young to say my dad really knew what he was talking about, if you know what I mean, right? Like like a lot of young people do, they, they, they don't look at their parents and go, wow, they're smart people. And so my dad had a big impact. Ken Blanchard had a big impact. And then I've, I've just had a wonderful opportunities to have John Maxwell in my life, Stephen M. R. Covey in my life, guys like Ron Jensen, Werner Jacobson, uh, a bunch of guys that just have poured their their hearts into me to help me become a different type of leader. And and, and those are the, the folks that have made a difference in my life. Very nice. Very nice. I mean, that's an incredible journey summed up into just a few minutes of, uh, you know, of, of storytelling, which is incredible. So uh, I'm really curious because it sounds like your father had a, a pretty big impact on your life. And, and as you said, you know, a lot of a lot of younger generation, um, and I know I went through this too, where I was in my teenage years and even in my 20s, I would look at my parents and think like they don't know what they're talking about. But there's obviously wisdom there to be had. Do you see this translating into businesses and into the corporate world with a lack of real mentorship between generations? Or how does how have you seen that? Show? Oh, yeah, big, big time. It's, it's very interesting in the marketplace today because uh, we, we really have four generations in the workplace today. A couple of generations have been around for a while. I'm, I'm 60. I just turned 64. And so I'm a baby boomer and I've got, I, I like relationships. I like dialing phones, you know, don't text message me and all that. Kind of, I had to learn how to accept that in the world to, to be part of people's lives. But I look at all the knowledge that people my age have. And what I, if I could help them understand one thing that we have a responsibility today, not to be the leaders in charge, but to pass on all the knowledge we have to the next generation of leaders. My job today is to develop those next generation of leaders, not to be the leader. My being the leader days are behind me. Now I want to develop leaders who are going to take the company to the next level, take it on into the future. So that when I leave, it doesn't go away. It, you know, it's not tied to art. It's tied to what the company does. I go all the way to the college level folks and, you know, we, we really do them a disservice uh, in college. And if, and if you're an instructor, you're a professor, and I, I don't mean this in any disrespect, but what we do is we teach people how to take tests. We teach people how to dress. We teach people how to do business lunches and, and interact and interview and answer questions. But we don't ask them what they want to do in life. What are they good at? What really gets them excited? What are they good at? What floats their boat? What gets them up in the morning? 
and help them work in that environment. So we've got a younger generation who's looking for purpose in their life. I've got guys my age who are holding on to that purpose and going, I have this knowledge, but I don't want to share it because it's security to me, right? Knowledge is security and power. And I go, no, you got to let that go and develop everybody. Now, when I get older leaders to do that, the younger leaders have a responsibility to accept that knowledge for what it is. And one of the things I like to tell people is, you know, when I'm talking to a younger group, I'll say, you know what? I've been your age before. I've been 20 years old before, but you've never been 60 before. So maybe I have something I can give you that you haven't experienced yet. And that usually opens up the conversation to allow me to pour into their lives and get them to listen to what I have to say. Um, and so we've got all these generations and, and the, the younger generation coming in the workplace today. They've grown up in this electronic age. And what I'm trying to get guys my age to understand is you have to meet them where they are. They live in that electronic world. And if you don't enter into that world, you're not going to impact that life. Right. You've got to be in their community and their community is in Instagram and Facebook and, you know, all this other stuff, Twitter. And, uh, you know, I don't even know what some of the stuff is, but I know I have to be there to impact that life because that's their community. So does it impact? Yeah, I see organizations today who are struggling to, to develop new leaders because their older leaders don't realize that their their job now is to pass on that information and help those leaders be the best they can be. Yeah, I mean it's it's a, it's interesting because you even see I mean the one thing that I've started to see is that that the older generation has such a depth in specialization whereas our generation, you know, we I guess I would fall I'm like a I'm like a cusping millennial, you know, kind of like the old, old, old school millennial, like the, one of the first ones, I guess. But, you know, our generation is much, there's much bigger deviation of specialization, right? Like we've probably experienced multiple fields before we start to set into a career or, or had, you know, three or four uh, different career paths that have led us to the, to the, to the place that we're in or the career that we're in. So, I think that a, a lot of a lot of our generation starts to see that as as value, and maybe sometimes devalues the uh, thirty plus years of single focus specialization. And there's there's such there's such inherent value in that. I think that we could probably learn from. So, and the interesting thing that you're talking about is the older generation having and holding on to that sense of purpose, and maybe missing out on the fact that that purpose could shift to passing down the knowledge that there actually is purpose in passing down knowledge and wisdom. Um, so how, how do you open the floodgates for that to be possible for them? And then, you know, what does the younger generation need to know in order to sort of maximize um, that, that learning and that education that they can receive from the older generation? One, one of the tricks I love to do is when I see a younger person who has, you know, tattoos on their arms or maybe on their neck, I will ask them, who is your artist? And I said, I really like your artwork. And I asked them who their artist is. And I've never had that question fail me. It's always opened up a conversation. I get a smile from that young person because I'm showing interest in something they're interested in. And I want to know, is it a local artist? Is it, you know, somebody that you've collected over the ways? And, and one, one person I asked this to, this was about three weeks ago, uh, in the coffee shop, I said, Hey, I really like your artwork. 
Uh, and she says, you know, I've collected this over the different places I travel. And she started telling me her story up one arm and down the other. And in, in about three minutes, I had her elevator speech about her life just because I asked her and said, who's your artist? Now, most of the people my age would look at that and go, what ugly. I don't understand why people do that. There's no way I want to talk to that life. And I'm going, wait a minute. That's a life. Forget all the other stuff that's, that's on the arms and stuff. Why don't you show interest and see what happens? And once you really show interest in that life and you do it with the right heart, now you've started to create a relationship on their terms, not on your terms. And in servant leadership, we're all about serving others above ourselves. And if we, we're, the only way we can do that is meet people where they are. So I meet people where they are and ask them about that. Now, I'm still struggling with that because I, I haven't found a way to ask somebody about their jewelry that they stick through their tongue. Okay, so I'll be the first <laughs> to admit I have a tough time with, with the, the, the post through the tongue. And I'm going, I don't understand that one. I, I can't ask who, who made your jewelry, right? Yeah. yeah. So. There's still some things that I struggle with, but the tattoo is 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 something that I've always found interesting because of the stories that come out of it. And it always starts with a smile. And, you know, the younger generation is shy. They'll, they'll tell you how you feel if you if you really want to listen to them. But getting them to smile and open about, up about themselves is really how you start to touch that life and influence that life. And then once I've started that relationship, now they're ready to hear what I have to say. But if I go in and say, hey, you know what? I don't like your, your your stuff on your arms. I don't understand that covered up. I don't like it. But you know what? I have all these things I want to tell you because you need to know this stuff. I'm not going to get to their heart because what's important to them isn't important to me. And so I would challenge your older listeners that are my age, hey, ask people about the things you're afraid of and, and ask them who their artist is and sit back and watch the reaction. And you'll be shocked. And those are the little things that I that I try and do. And then I try and get older um, uh, leaders to ask two questions. And the first one is, you know, tell me more about where you were in this country. Tell me more about what that that symbol meant. Uh, or you know, you know, help me understand why you like to put this on your arms and why they're not on your legs. Help me understand that. And I, I continue the conversation with those two questions, and I sit back and listen. And when the time's right, that's when that life will open up, and it will be open to what I have to say. And and most people don't take the time to do that. They won't take the time to to start a relationship. They just want to tell somebody that you need to know this, and you need to listen to me, right? Those are the ways that I found successful to get to the younger generation. And, and remember this, Connor. We're being told today that the generations that are coming out of college today on average will have um, somewhere around 25 to 30 jobs in their lifetime. And so if you think about it, in my generation, you went to work for a company, you stayed there for 10, 15, 20 years, like you said earlier. Today, if, if the younger generation doesn't find purpose and they don't find the older workers in the workplace who want to help them get better and share knowledge, they're going to go somewhere else and look for it somewhere else. They're not going to hang around. For 10 years to see if it changes, they're going to leave. And so you have about two years to impact that life. And if you don't think of it in, the, in those terms, guess what? You're, that, you're going to lose that life in your, in your company and you're going to start all over with the, with the brand new one. And we have to think, think, think about that differently today than we used to in my time frame. Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a really, yeah. it's a really good point. Like, I, I remember, I mean, even myself, when I look at myself and the career paths that I've been on, um, I mean, some of them I wouldn't call careers as much as I would call them jobs. Uh, jobs, just, right? Just, yep. just for making, just for making money, you know, out of out of high school and during university and whatnot. But you know, I, I think, I think most people my age have done some pretty random things. I'll, I'll put on events and I'll say, you know, connect with somebody and and tell them your life in ninety seconds. And it's incredible the the stories that people tell about the things that they've done. You know, um, like again, I, I just look at myself and and having you know sold vacuums door to door and done construction and pumped gas and served in restaurants and sang opera all over the world and worked for giant tech companies and so the the breadth of things that that I've done and and people in my generation have done are can seem pretty impressive. I think it be, it comes at the cost of being able to define that one direction that that people then often want to take. So, you know, I think circling back around, how does something first let's actually let's do this. Let's just first talk about what is servant leadership. How do you start to define that and and, and how do you see it unfold in the workplace? Yeah, you know, we we when we first started implementing it, that was one of the first things we tried to define. And it took us a couple of years, but I think we zeroed in on a, a very simple statement. Our job as leaders is is to inspire and equip those we influence. And if you notice, we didn't say those that report to you. We said those that you influence. And what we believe is everyone is a leader. Everyone influences someone in their life. And to get that point across, I'll ask, you know, how many parents do we have in the room? And, and how have you impacted that life? And my guess is you've impacted them in ways you didn't want to impact them, either with words or actions that you weren't proud of, but they picked up just by watching you. Well, it's the same thing with everybody that works in, in the company. Everybody influences someone. So we believe everybody's a leader. So our job is to inspire them with a great purpose, give them a reason for coming to work and a reason for doing what you're doing, and then equip them and give them the tools to go make that happen. So inspire and equip those we influence. You know, we, we started with some larger definitions, but we got down to what do we want to do? We want to inspire and equip. And then, you know, the one thing that, that people forget when they hear that, they go, well, I don't hear anything about getting quarterly results for the quarter. I said, you know what? As a leader, we have to get results or our, or our organizations die. That's a given. You have to get results or you're not going to be around. So how is that your purpose? If your purpose is all about money, then hire a bunch of people who all I care about is money. But if you have a different purpose in life that you want to be significant in people's lives rather than just be successful yourself, now let's go make a difference in people's lives, right? And so that's why we said inspire and equip those we influence. Results are a given. You have to get results when you're in an organization. The organization has to get results to, to survive. It, it isn't something that, that inspires you and equips you. It's something you strive for. Mm, yeah, I like that definition because I think it I think it kind of unpacks a little bit about the you know the challenges that often people face when they go into an organization because they can get fixated on the results and have that become their purpose. So how how does one maybe start to shift that focus? Because I know for myself and for you know lots of the guys that I've worked with, results results and performance can very quickly get intertwined with purpose. It can, and and so I, I usually will start with the traditional triangle that shows the org chart with the point at the top, 
and I'll have people go, you know, your listeners right now, form that triangle with your, with your thumb and your, and your forefingers, and then take that triangle and turn it upside down. So the points at the bottom, and that's really what your organization should look like. Art Barter as CEO at Datron, I'm at the bottom of the org chart. My job is to inspire and equip everyone else in the organization to help them get better. Now, how do we do that and get results? Well, like I said earlier, you have to get results to, to be successful. You have to get results to, to hang around. But we decided that instead of focusing on, um, you know, how much do you want to grow? Are you bought the company? You want to grow 10% next year, 15%, 20%. I said, I'm never going to tell you how much I want to grow because it's not about me. It's not about, you know, I'm the owner. It's not about me. How about we go serve our customers and serve them like we love them, inspire them, give them what they need to do their mission, and let them decide with their checkbook how fast we're going to grow. Let them decide based on how well we take care of them. And that's how we started out. We said, I'm not going to tell you how much we're, we're going to go. We're going to let our customers decide. So let's go find a bunch of customers and just take care of them. And we had amazing, amazing results. The results took care of themselves because the customers wanted to do business with us. They knew that we would stand by them regardless of what was going on with our products or, or what was going on with them. They knew if they needed us in country, we'd be right by them, that we would never say, hey, we can't help you. We, we went in to help them with their mission and not just to sell radios. And the greatest, greatest story I have is, is early on with Daytron, I was asked to go into, into the country of Zimbabwe and help them find some money to do a $15 million radio network uh, with the borders and, um, with connection to the police headquarters back in their um, capital. And I met the signals officer in the police. And I said, Eric, how can I help you? What's your mission? And he said, well, it's pretty easy. I said, well, he's got bad guys that come in the country. They want to be able to send photographs of the bad guys to the borders to keep the bad guys out. He says, I, I also have a very strange political uh, environment. People are going to demonstrate, and the people who demonstrate are, are going to be my friends and in some cases my family. And I want to control those demonstrations with great communications and not with bullets, not with weapons. I said, Eric, I'll help you do that. I will give you radios that will help you deal with disturbances in your country with great communications so you don't have to bring out the weapons. And about uh, seven years later, I think it was, there was an article here in San Diego that was written by the Associated Press that said the recent elections in Zimbabwe were the least violent in the country's history. And I took that article, I got all our employees together, and I said, this is why we do what we do. We just helped the country of Zimbabwe have the least violent elections in their history because we gave them a great product that helped them deal with those disturbances with good communication so they didn't have to bring out the bullets. Now, I can get behind that. Hmm. I can get behind helping people to save lives. Uh, my folks here can get behind. We help save lives around the world with great communications so that our customers don't have to, to, to do it with other, other means. And I've got stories from around the world of customers who have done exactly that. They've, put things in place that are secure communications and they do things peacefully. 
uh, instead of with violence. And Zimbabwe is a great example because they just had a change in leadership there where the president was actually forced out of out of power. But not one shot was fired because they did it peacefully. And I, I looked at that and went, wow, that that culture that we helped get started 10, 15 years ago is still there. They still want to do things the right way. Just cut them loose and let them do it the right way. Mm-hmm. Most people want to do it the right way. Give them the tools to, to do that. So, you know, I get asked, how do you do that in the military world? That's how I do that. I, I help people provide security for their citizens and sovereignty f- for their nations by using great communications so they don't have to bring out any weapons against people. Mm. And I see it time and time again where the men that are that are the head of, you know, the armies we deal with, the generals, they don't want to hurt anybody. They don't want to attack anybody. They just want to protect their country and their citizens. Uh, and they have great hearts. And those are the guys we love to help. So I, I did that answer your question, Connor, or did I get kind of get off track with the story? Oh, no, the, I, think the story, <laughs> I think the story was great. I, you know, one of the things that I that I found in your book was a quote that said how you get results is more important than the results themselves. And I think that that really embodies just sort of the story and, and the, the story that you were just talking about you know, around how we actually do that and how we empower our people and the sort of foundational principles behind uh, servant leadership and how you can actually go about doing that. And I think that, you know, in in an age where more and more people, especially our generation and the upcoming generation that's, you know, that, that's going to uh, take over from us, from my generation, they're, they're looking for purpose. It really is the thing that they are looking for the most. I remember working at Apple and having 18 or 19 year olds come in and work and maybe it was their second job or their first job. And the question was always around why, why do we do this? You know, not just, not just how many computers do we need to sell or how many iPhones do we need to sell, but like, why should I? Why should I care about this? <laughs> That's right. always right. the first exactly. question, and, and the great leaders are the ones that are able to communicate that why, communicate from a space of empowering that individual and being able to sort of step out of the way to some degree to allow them to facilitate that. You know, we get opportunities. Uh, I'll, I'll step out of the military world for a while and tell you a story about. We have a customer in Latin America, uh, uh, Brazil. And if you remember the Air France plane that went down in the in the middle of the Atlantic after it took off from Brazil mm-hmm. six, seven years ago, eight years ago, they could they had a hard time finding it. Well, that was because they were in a dead zone. They didn't have communications. And Brazil came to us and said, will you help us create a high power, high frequency communication system that will allow us to communicate with the jets when they're in the air? We don't we we don't want to have this experience again where a pilot cannot communicate with Brazil from where they took off from. And so we worked with them. We developed a a 10,000 watt amplifier radio system. We installed it. It's been up and up and running down there for about two years now, 24 seven. And now pilots that take off in France and get up to about 20, 30,000 feet over France, they now can communicate with air traffic control in Brazil before they venture out over the ocean. So there's no dead zone anymore. There's no dead zone. And so here's a situation where we've taken the technology we have and applied it to a commercial application that now has solved the problem where 
every pilot that that knows they're going to Brazil, they know they can communicate with air traffic control because they have a high power system now that can communicate to any aircraft that's coming into their airspace from any distance. Very cool. And, and their desire was, we don't ever want to not be able to find an aircraft if it has a problem, right? And so we have commercial applications like that that we do too. And, and those things are exciting because we're we're not saving lives, but we're making sure that lives can communicate wherever they are. Mm. Right. Do you feel like yeah. do you feel like some of the misses that that leaders fall into, whether they are the owners of the company, whether they are uh, managers or executives within the company, is is failing to communicate some of the impact of the work that's actually being done? Absolutely. You know, people in your organizations need to hear the stories from the people uh, that they serve. And if you're not sharing those stories back to the people doing the work, man, those stories are so powerful and they can get the people's heart faster than anything a leader can tell them. I can make promises about how fast we're going to grow. I come back and share a story from visiting a country and share the impact that they're having on people. They now think of that story when they're building radios, not what I said in the last employee meeting, right? They're building that radio for that person in that country, not because I stood up in front of people in an all-hands meeting and said, this is the right thing to do. And we've had some customers who come back and visit us, and, and they, they want to tell our employees what a difference they've made in their lives. And you've got to share those stories with your employees because, really, that's how they, they grab hold to that purpose of your company. Uh, for us, our purpose is to positively impact the lives of others today and in the future. And when you tell stories like Zimbabwe or some of the disaster things that we've helped with uh, emergency communications, those are the stories that people remember, that we help save lives. And they go, I want to come to work today because I know I have this order, this order, this order going to these countries. And I just heard in the news, they really need this stuff to help protect their their country and people get excited about that so you have to share the stories of the people that you serve and those stories are what really gets the company excited about having that common purpose in the workplace and why you do what you do mm. yeah i mean i i think yeah. i think one of the things that i hear is like a, a potential challenge and, and maybe you know you're talking about the the power leader before in the corporate world and and the servant leader and I, I would imagine that one of the challenges that people probably face is is just thinking about becoming a servant leader uh, almost almost implies that we're empowering other people to make decisions and decide direction so where where's the line around being able to still provide direction as a leader versus needing to sort of be like an authoritarian figure whether it's in the workplace or or in the home or whatever dynamic that that you are a leader in, so how, how do we how do we then start to uncover ways and means in which we can empower people without sort of losing our own sense of of purpose and identity within that leadership? Right. You, you have people in your company that are responsible for setting the direction of the company strategically, tactically. And, you know, you hired those people for a reason because they were experts in their field. Let them do their job. Let them, let them do what they were hired to do. But here's what I do. As CEO, there are times when I don't have time for collaboration. I don't have time to get the team together and let the team work through things. There are times when I'll do a quick meeting and go, okay, guys, tell me everything you know about this issue the customers have in country. 
And at the end of the meeting, I'm going to make a decision on which direction we're going to go. That's what I call a command decision. Now, here's the difference between a power leader and a servant leader. A power leader will just make the decision and tell people, you need to go do this or I'll find somebody who will, right? Power leader, you do what I tell you to do or I'm going to find somebody who will do what I tell them to do and you're going to lose your job. A servant leader takes a little different approach. The first they say, I'm going to make a command decision. I don't have time to get everybody's input on this, but this is what we're going to go do. I don't have time to explain that decision today, but in two days, I want to get this team back together so I can share with you why I made the decision I made and teach you how to think like I was thinking. What I saw, what I didn't see, what I heard, what I didn't hear, and here's why I made that decision. So you make the command decision, and you, but you tell people you're making that command decision. And you tell them, I'll be back in a day or two, and I will explain to you why I made that decision so I will help you learn and become a better leader. Now you're developing that leader while you're making that command decision. People will respect you for that. Instead of just saying, you need to go do this and do it because I said you were going to do it. How many, how, how many of us have grown up in, with parents that said, you need to do this because I told you to yeah, do, do it? Do what I say, not as I do. <laughs> do so uh, so that's the difference. We still make command decisions, but a servant leader will take that opportunity to turn it into a teaching moment to help develop leaders in the future and explain to them why they make that decision. I, I had a situation, this, and this just happened yesterday. Uh, we do government contracts, and government contracts have ratings on them to show the importance of of what needs to be delivered first. And we had a high rating on a contract, and so... My, I said, why isn't my purchasing team using that rating to talk to their vendors? And I came to my realization that, you know what? I've never sat down and had a discussion with that team. We brought in some new people. Uh, we don't have this contract rating that happens all the time. But I've never sat down with that team and said, this is why this is so important to me. So I said, hey, I'd like to meet with you guys. I came in the next morning and I, and I got everybody around in our, one of our collaborative areas. I said, Here's why this is so important. Here's what a rating means. Here's what it means under law and under contract. Here's why it's so important for you to use it with your suppliers. And here's how they have to respond to it. I had never taught the current group that I have on staff in that, in that group about ratings because they don't happen very often. It was my opportunity to share with them rather than just say, hey, you need to pass this rating on to your vendor and make sure they, they live by it. Well, what does that mean, Art? I don't understand what a rating is. Um, so take the time to explain your command decisions. You're, you're going to make them because that's what you're paid to do. You're the leader of the company. You're a leader of the, of the department, the group. Uh, you're going to have to make those decisions when you have people who don't agree. Uh, explain it. Teach people why you think that way. And then the last thing I do is the expect, expectation is, once I've made that decision, we go into implementation mode. We don't continue the discussion in the hallways about that's not the right decision to make. What I expect them out of my leaders is to respect the decision I've made. And now your job is to go enforce it at 110% of your effort, not to second guess, guess me. So respect me enough to go implement the decision I made because I'm going to invest in you and tell you why I made that decision. And that's the difference between a power leader and a servant leader. Nice, nice. I think it, I think yep. it brings up a, a good point around uh, around ego in in the leadership, you know, and that it doesn't need to be this 
sort of power struggle or, um, you know, that you take the time to be humble enough to, to say like, this is why I made this choice and, and educate people around your thought process. I would imagine that in some situations, this opens the door for questioning and, uh, you know, for criticism and stuff like that. So how, how do you see servant leadership in sort of embracing the ego or, or needing to sort of face the ego in order to be successful uh, in, in its endeavors? You know, just, just recognize that no one's perfect. Recognize, including me, I, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not a perfect individual. I'm a human being and I'm going to make mistakes. And in the servant leadership culture that we've uh, created is grace is a big part of that. And what do I mean by that? Um, I have people in my organization that make mistakes all the time. I don't fire them. I don't get rid of them. I coach them. I help teach them. I help them get better so they don't make the same mistakes again. That also applies to your CEO or your senior leader, general manager, whatever you call them. You need to extend as much grace to, to that person as they extend to you every day in the workplace. Because that person is a person and they're going to make mistakes. They're going to have an ego. And here's what I know about leaders like me. I, I fall in this category all the time, Connor. I was trained a power leader for 25 years. Those behaviors don't go away. I just learn how to manage them. And I know that when I get under pressure, some of my old behaviors are going to come out of the closet and they're going to rear their ugly head. And so I need to have some people around me that go, you know, Art, you kind of got a little uptight in that meeting. No, no, you really got angry in that meeting. And that really doesn't reflect the values of the company. And you know what? What's going on? And instead of beating up on a person, go, you know, hey, you shouldn't act this way. Go, what's going on that's driving you to act, act that way? What's going on in your life? What, what's, what's, what's driving that reaction? And usually, most of the time, it's it's leaders dealing with their ego. And my transition from power leader to servant leader, I struggle with that ego all the time because I was trained it was all about me. For 25 years, it was all about me and performance and getting ahead on the corporate ladder. And when I changed, I went, it's not about me anymore. It's about other people. And that's not an easy change to make. And you need to have people around you that are going to extend you grace. I had a, um, this was about five years into our implementation. I had a, a senior meeting and one of my senior leaders asked me, sir, what do you want from us? What are you looking for? And I said, you know what, guys, I would love to have the same amount of grace from you that I extend to you when you make mistakes. And I had one leader who said, I'm not sure I understand that, but she came back to me in two weeks and go, you know what, Art, you're right. When I make mistakes, you don't hold it against me. You try and teach me and help me to get better. She says, I need to do that with you too. I said, I'm going to make mistakes. Help me get better and extend the grace to me. And that person got it that you can't expect your CEOs, your leaders to be perfect because they're human beings. And when they make mistakes, give them some slack because they're struggling with their ego. I, I, if they were trained in the power world and they're trying to make this change, to be a different type of leader, they're going through these internal battles with themselves all the time about, I got to do things the old way because the new way is not working. They're, cut them some slack. Uh, they want to get better. They want to do something different. Give them a chance to go do that and and know that they're going to make mistakes along the way. Yeah, I think that's I think that's such great insight. I just wanted to, to interject there because I think so often 
in the in a sort of hierarchy where we see our boss and our managers and our leaders as you know getting paid more to you know quote unquote getting paid more to make these decisions i think a lot of the time it can be very easy for people to fall into the trap of overjudging those people and and dehumanizing them based on those judgments and not having room for error, not having room for mistakes or getting the, you know, getting the best wrapped up in their ego or their anger. And uh, so I, I think that that's really solid advice because I think a lot of people have issues with their bosses or the leaders of their organizations, mostly because they haven't actually given them a chance to, to actually work through that. They haven't given them the feedback or, uh, the opportunity to grow, which which is challenging, because I think the the saying is the higher up, the louder you go, uh, the more alone you are. So some some iteration or version of that, and the way that we prevent that and flatten out the ladder is by making sure that that there's a culture of allowing people at all levels to provide feedback to people from all levels. Is that about r- roughly accurate? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you're a leader. You're going to get criticized. That's part of leadership. Always listen to that, that input, whether it's good or bad, always listen. And when someone tells me something I don't want to hear, I may not react to it the right way when I hear it. But I've learned that, and this has been a tr- tough transition for me, is I spend more time reflecting about what I hear from other people than at any other time in my life. And I always listen to go, okay, I didn't like what that person said. I don't agree with them. But what in that statement is true that I really need to get better at? What can I learn from that statement? And not just shut it off and say that person doesn't know what they're talking about. And it may, may, may take me a week or two to come back to that realization after I'm, I'm thinking about it for a while. But I always hear everything that's said to me. I don't like everything that's, that's said to me, but I always learn from what's said to me. And if you can learn to learn from the criticism, that's what really helps you be a better leader. And that, and that feedback is is really critical because great leaders ask great questions to get great feedback. Mm-hmm. And they'll take the feedback any way they can get it, right? Good, bad, or indifferent. Good leader or, or bad leaders, they don't they don't want to hear your opinion. Just go do what I tell you to do. I don't I don't want your input. I don't need your input. I don't. I'm going, wow, I, that, that leader really excites me. He doesn't want to listen to what I have to say. He doesn't, doesn't care about what I'm feeling about things. And he probably doesn't trust me. So, wow, I'm really glad I'm working at this company. I'm really excited about my job today, right? You wonder why we're so disengaged in the workplace today is because we have leaders who don't trust people, who don't listen, who don't show they care about other people. And you go, well, how come people aren't engaged in what we're doing? Well, look at yourself first, look at your own behavior first Mm -hmm. and change your own behavior. I have questions, Connor, from people go, you know, my CEO doesn't believe in servant leadership. I said, okay, what are you going to do about it? Well, there's nothing I can do about it. I said, well, let's talk about that for a minute. I said, help me understand why you need permission from your CEO or your boss to treat people with dignity and respect. They go, well, I really don't need permission from anybody to treat others with dignity and respect. I said, exactly. So start with yourself. Start with your own behaviors first. Show that you want to be a different person. And I'll guarantee you, if you work at it and you become a different person, people are going to notice and they're going to go, what's up with art today? Because he's not the same art I saw last month. And I really like the new art. 
And if you do that five or six months in a row, people are going to go, well, Art's really changing. He's happier. He's more engaged. He's talking more. He's teaching us more. Wow. I want to be part of that instead of having a code at the front desk. I worked for a company once where there was a code at the front desk we had that when the CEO drove up in the parking lot to visit our division, the receptionist got on the on the uh, loudspeaker and yelled out this code word to let everybody know that the mean CEO was coming in the front door. <laughs> All right. And you go, I don't want that environment. I want people to, to be happy when I walk in and, and continue talking. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, it sounds, it, it's funny. Cause as you're, as you're talking, I feel like there's so many, parallels that can be drawn to our intimate relationships you know <laughs> it's 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 yep. pretty it's actually pretty funny but no I, I i agree completely i think that those uh those pieces of being able to treat people with respect of being able to show up in those moments where you want to shut down or judge somebody and be able to lean into it and learn and take the lessons that are actually there for us and be able to say you know, what, what is the truth in this? Maybe I don't agree with everything, but if there is a truth to be seen in this, because clearly there is some, uh, what would it be? And, and to be able to extract that truth in any given situation, I think is, is one of the main challenges that, uh, that any great leader faces. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, I've seen a lot of anger in the workplace. I've seen a lot of anger in life. And I, I just try and help people understand that anger is one letter away from danger. You just have to add the D and it turns into danger. Mm. We can disagree and still treat people with dignity and respect. But here's the real challenge for servant leaders. Guess what? We don't get to pick and choose the lives we serve. A life comes before me and I get a chance to serve it. I serve that life like it was a life. I don't get to go figure out who they are, who they think they are, what, what the challenges are having. They, do they fit in my box of belief system? Or are they outside of it? If a life comes before us, then we serve that life as a life. And people go, oh, what do you mean, Art? I said, well, how about you serve the life instead of the ideology? And they go, wow. I said, next time you disagree with someone, over a belief or an ideology, I said, how about you serve the life and be respectful to the life and treat the life with dignity and respect and let all the argument over the ideology go somewhere else. You know, it's not worth it. Have fun with people as people. And remember that when you get into those arguments and the anger takes off, there's it's one letter away from danger. And people start to resonate with that and go, you know, you're right. I, I don't have to agree with everybody about what people believe in, whether they're spiritual or not spiritual, or it, it doesn't matter. You get a chance to serve a life, serve the life and help the life mm -hmm. and not get tied up in all the other garbage that's around it. Help the life. Right? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think that it's very timely advice considering that, you know, I think people get wrapped up in that a lot uh, these days. So it's very, very, very timely. And, and I think that that's sage advice in, in any environment, uh, whether it's a workplace or not. So, well, listen, Art. I know yep. that we're running out of we're running out of time here uh, quickly, but I I just wanted to say, you know, you've you've got some incredible content that people, regardless of the position that they're in, can go and 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 check out. Uh, I'm curious as to what is on the horizon for you this year. Well, you know, we've got I've got written three books so far. Uh, one's a fable about servant leadership called Farmable. Uh, we did a, a journal 
Uh, journaling was a big part of my transformation. So we help people focus on the behaviors that we that we teach. The last one I just released that we're going to be doing a webinar on, I think next week, to release the book next next month, excuse me, is The Art of Servant Leadership 2. And that tells the story of what we implemented at Datron and how we went about it and uh, shares some of the stories of success about it. And that we're excited about that. That's on the horizon. And then we've got a couple more books in the works. Most of it, I think, is going to be how do we help leaders uh, behave their talk? How do we help them change their behaviors and be that different type of leader that they want to be? There's such a desire in the workplace to do things differently, but there's a lack of knowledge on how to change. And people are afraid of change. So we're looking at things and and ways on how we can help people change their behaviors and be a different type of person that they want to be. And then we always have webinars and things like that. We always like to, to share things. So um, at the ServantLeadershipInstitute.com is a great place to go. You'll see webinars. You'll see our books. You'll see some other content material we do. And uh, we just love pouring into people's lives. We love to help people who, who want to lead in a different way. And so um, keep an eye out because we're, we're always working on things. Where our hope is – my hope is I – transition out of being a CEO to more helping people change into being a different type of leader. I can, I can get a lot of, a lot more content out there, maybe somewhere between two and three books a year to really help get the servant leadership movement in high gear. Cause I think it is something that can help change the world. Incredible. Incredible. Well, I, I yeah. agree a hundred percent, especially when, you know, the, the, the power leader model is clearly uh, a, a little outdated and uh, and struggling in the workplace and struggling to help people find a sense of purpose within those environments. So um, this this sort of revamp of leadership is much needed. And I, I deeply appreciate the work you're doing and I appreciate having you on the show today. Yeah. Thanks again, Connor. I always love hanging out with you. So I in, in, enjoyed the talk today and Hopefully, um, your listeners uh, got something out that they could use today I, out of our conversation. I'm yeah. sure that they did. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. So, for everybody that's out there listening, definitely head on over to ServantLeadershipInstitute.com. Uh, the link will be in the show notes. You can check it out there. Check out the books. Uh, and uh, Art's got some great content, uh, both video and audio and, and written around uh, leadership. So, if there's something, a topic that's passionate for you, definitely go check it out. Uh, don't forget to share this episode, man it forward, share it with somebody that, that, you know, was working towards this, or you feel like would find this topic interesting and helpful for them and, uh, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, uh, and, and leave us a rating and a review it goes a long way to sharing the podcast out, getting it into the ears and on the phones of other people. And until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me next week with another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual. Mm-hmm.